This message first aired on the radio on November 24, 2003. We're going to look at the scriptures, and we're in Romans chapter 5. And in Romans 5, we have some wonderful summary statements. Now, it's best felt if you have followed the arguments of the apostle about how justification comes, exactly how it works through the first four chapters. But you come to chapter 5 here, and you've got some very wonderful things and very comforting things told. And so we're going to read through the first five verses here, and then we'll later in our broadcast go through the next five and a half verses, and we'll try to comment on them as we go. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, or the hope of God's glory. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope makes not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, these verses of Scripture, I'm particularly fond of them because in verses 3, 4, and 5, I found in my early Christian life what I called an equation for hope. And I had a an explosive early Christian life. My introduction to the faith, to understanding of the faith, was very explosive. When I began to make a public witness, uh, or a public testimony, when I became a public witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, it was at the time of my baptism, my water baptism. Having been raised a Roman Catholic, uh, I didn't really understand baptism at all, Christian baptism, that is to say. I studied what had happened to me. I know when I was an infant, my parents presented me in the Roman Catholic temple, and a Roman Catholic priest apparently sprinkled some water on, on my head, put some oil on my forehead, stuck some salt on my tongue, acted like he cast out some demon or something, told my mouth to be opened somehow, and called that baptism, put the word baptism on that pagan practice, and then told my parents, I guess, that I was going to be okay. And they also had scared my parents into taking me there because uh, they told them that if if they didn't do that and I died, that I would go to a godless place. They don't talk about the lake of fire. They have some place that they've made up called Limbo. That's not Chubby Checker's place. It's a place that's like heaven but no God, which is not like heaven at all, is it? So anyway, when I was baptized as a Christian, it was almost two years after I received the Lord as my Savior, and I had a very explosive entry into public testimony. I was president of the student body at the University of Nebraska at Omaha, and the press attended my baptism. They wanted to take pictures. They weren't allowed. And articles were on the front page of the student paper about my conversion to some extent. And many other things. Then much hostility rose up around me uh, in the faith by my mates uh, because I had lived a wicked and shameful life and had acquired to myself the kind of mates who would have nothing to do with me when I received Christ as my Savior. So a very explosive time, and uh, I needed some uh, encouragement. I need a lot of encouragement to pass through that time. 
about which I won't go into a lot of specifics, but the scriptures that came to my mind were verses 3 through 5, well, really, the whole of uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5, but especially here as one is encouraged knowing that, for example, that tribulation works patience. So I knew I was starting to have tribulation. I knew I was starting to have the afflictions that go along with following the Lord Jesus Christ, the way of the cross, the thlipsis, uh, or the afflictions that come with the faith, and they're part and parcel. You can assume they're going to be there. They are going to be there. So being freely justified by faith and finally realizing it and testifying to it publicly by following the Lord in the rite and symbol of water baptism, I began to have the tribulations that attach to the faith, or the thlipsis. And I read in the scripture, knowing that tribulation works patience. So I began to anticipate patience. And uh, waiting for patience is certainly uh, part and parcel of learning patience. And so as you pass through the tribulations that come with the faith, then that works patience in the life. And then patience works experience. And, of course, that's just time passing over circumstance, isn't it? As you wait and continue to in the faith, you continue to believe, you continue to hold fast faith, and you have difficult times. It's as if you're lifting weights in that way, and you continue in it, and you learn about patience. And so, of course, patience teaches you to continue, and as you continue through, you get experience. And then soon you have hope. You you begin to have experience, and then that works to hope. So I call it an equation for hope that I wanted to move from faith to hope, and that's exactly what Romans 5 teaches. I explained to you, first of all, kind of a personal why I'm fond of this passage of Scripture, and uh, it was also the first passage of Scripture that I worked at memorizing and thinking about throughout the day. I had a job where I had plenty of time to just think about things as I cleaned off an office. And what I did was I meditated on this passage of Scripture, and it encouraged me very much, and I trust that it encourages you today as we think about it. But it starts out in a very encouraging way. It says, therefore, being justified by faith. Now, this is being justified. Another way we could read this is in, in the perfect tense, having been justified. Having been justified. Now, that is the state of the Christian. The Christian has been. We are those who, having been justified, we are already justified. Now, we talk about the word justified, and some of you may have attended Sunday school and learned this incorrectly, and so I want to correct you. But the, one of the common things that they misteach you in Sunday school is that to be justified is just as if you've never sinned. But that is not justified. That's worse than justified. That's not nearly as good as justified. Just as if you never sinned is how Adam was created. He was created just as if he never sinned. In fact, he never had sinned. And so Adam was a sinless guy walking around. He was sinless. He was sinless when he went to sleep, and he was sinless when Eve was taken out of his sight. And Eve was sinless also. 
So you had these two sinless people walking around in the garden, knowing each other, and not in the Bible sense of the carnal knowledge of the word, uh, not knowing each other sexually to the point of procreation at least, very likely knowing each other that way, but uh, not for long they walked around sinless, and they had never sinned. And yet they were in jeopardy of sinning and losing the glory that God gave them and becoming condemned sinners because they had not been justified. They had been sinless, they had been created sinless, and they had been acting sinlessly, but they had not been justified, because justification is God's declaration that a person is righteous. And at the time that Adam and Eve were sinless, just as if they'd never sinned, they had not been declared righteous by God. It is better to be on the other side of the umpire's call. God has already declared me righteous. That's what it means to be justified. It means that God has already done the judgment act, and that is why in John chapter 5 we learn that the one who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ has passed through death into life already, therefore being justified. And let me tell you, you cannot live a successful you cannot live a Christian life, let alone a successful one, if you don't realize that you have been justified already on the principle of faith. Now here it says, by faith. Now that means on the principle of faith. We know that our justification was paid for and bought by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it comes to us on the principle of faith, by faith, on the faith principle. So we could read this, therefore, now that we are justified, according to the faith principle, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the first visitation of God when you've received Christ as your Savior. When you're born again, the enmity of you against God is gone. The enmity is gone. We have peace with God instead of enmity in our mind by wicked works. And that's one of the first present works that you receive when you receive Christ as your Savior, the forgiveness of sins. You receive more than that, but you receive God's peace. Let me put it this way. You, you receive peace with God. You have, as it were, a permanent peace treaty with God. He's no longer angry with you every day. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at and unwrap the package of the gift of eternal life that we receive a little bit, and uh, it'll encourage your heart. So stay with us after this brief announcement. Well, we have the peace with God as soon as we are justified, and we're justified on the basis of the faith principle. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is what it means to be saved. What it means to be saved is saved from the penalty of your sins. It means to be saved from the second death, which is the lake of fire. It means to be saved from the wrath of God. We'll see that here. And it means to also, therefore, on the other side, you're always saved from something. The word saved means saved from something. But we also have these gifts after all, the gift of God is eternal life. So is peace with God, a gift that comes with eternal life. Peace with God. 
and that's the one thing I knew uh, when I'd received Christ as my Savior. I didn't know much. I wandered around in a year and a half state of perplexity about what this was that I had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But one thing I knew is I knew that I was with God and God was with me. That we were now on the same side. There was no more hostility. I had peace with God. Now, the peace with God is worked through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it's freely given to us on the principle of faith. Now we have verse 2, by whom, that is by the Lord Jesus Christ, also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And we need to sort out a little language problem here, a little translation trouble, so that we understand what this means. Maybe it would be better written this way, by whom we have introduction by faith uh, into this grace. Because this word here, translated access, really has to do with being an introduction. That is, we're introduced to grace. We're introduced to God giving us freely on the basis of his own self. And that's what God's giving is. God's giving is to find the basis and to find the motivation for God's gift and God's giving to us. We have to take our eyes off ourselves and look at him. God is good, and God is all-gracious, and he's, and he's all-merciful, and God is love. And the kind of love that God has was demonstrated in the death of Christ, the death for his enemies. And we're going to read on about this a little later in our, in our time today, we trust. But we have to find God's motivation of his love for us in himself or of his gifts to us. And here is his grace. This is his gift. We have introduction by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And this grace that we stand in is whatever it is that we need. It is whatever we need. Knowledgeable Christians speak to each other and said, well, they can say, well, brother, sister, whatever circumstance you're in, you know there's grace for you to do whatever it is that God wants you to do. My, to understand the grace of God is so contrary to everything that is taught in the world. The world is graceless, but God is all about grace. And we have an introduction by this faith principle into this grace in which we stand, and we have our standing in the grace of God. This is fleshed out more fully in the epistle to the Ephesians, and we're working our way there gives me an opportunity to speak a little bit about the texture or the order of these epistles that we intend to go through. There's nine epistles representing seven churches or uh, seven locations. There's Romans, and they group together a bit. We have Romans and First and Second Corinthians. We'll just say Corinth. We have Rome, Corinth, and the churches of Galatia grouped together. We'll find here that this wonderful doctrine of the grace of God through faith and the faith principle is laid out so strongly and so completely here in the book of Romans. And then we'll see how that is supposed to be applied and then is not applied properly in First and Second Corinthians. And we'll see some practical applications and error in practice there. And then we'll see the need 
for the correction of the book of Romans in doctrine as the Galatians, the epistle of the Galatian churches, demonstrates the failure to adhere to the teaching of the Romans. That's what we'll see that group of three. Then we'll move to Ephesians, where we find the completion of the book of Romans. But because we understand Ephesians, when we look back here at Romans, we can see where things are going. And when you know when th- where things are going, you're a little more apt to pick them up. Because you're not just looking at a point, but you're looking at a ray. You're looking at a point with a direction to it. And you can see where it's headed, and you can have those aha moments in the Scripture. This is why Scripture is so enjoyable. The Scripture is only enjoyable when you understand it, and you won't understand it until you're born again. You need to receive Christ as Savior, or else this is a closed book to you. I don't care what your abilities may be. And once you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you have received the one who is the Christ, who is the anointed one, and that anointing is on the head. And uh, you'll find out that you'll be placed into his body. And just as the anointing on the head of Aaron flowed down over the whole body, so the anointing that is on Jesus Christ covers the whole body. And therefore, you can be taught of God by reading the Bible. And the new nature has the innate ability to understand the scriptures. And that's why we have them. Well, we have introduction by faith. See, not only are we justified by the faith principle, but the faith principle gives us introduction to grace. And so when we come to Ephesians chapter 2, and it tells us, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We understand that that's a nice capsule summary of exactly what Romans taught us, including about the boasting. Now, we have introduction by faith into the grace wherein we stand and so we see that we stand in grace and again ephesians will answer this and tell us that our standing is in the heavenly places in christ in fact we're seated in the heavenly places in christ and we're in grace and remember what grace is grace is what you need grace is what you need And so our Lord Jesus Christ has given us an introduction by faith to grace wherein we stand. Now we can rejoice in the hope of God's glory. And so now we've looked backward and we see that Christ died for our sins. And this gives us peace with God. And we see peace with God work through his shed blood there on Calvary. And now we look right where we're standing and we look right now and here and we say well there's grace there's whatever we need and so i look forward now with joy is what the scripture says rejoicing that is with joy you look forward now we we don't boast about what it is we have done but we now are encouraged and we know we're of god and with joy or with that confidence in fact this has to do with a certain confidence, we what? Hope. Hope of God's glory. Well, hope is a forward look. So there you see yourself, as it were, looking backward to Christ, now standing and looking at your current situation, and it turns you around with a hopeful look toward God's glory, which is to come. Now, with that point of view, and this is now to turn our attention to a different point of view. 
And the point of view now is to say, okay, we want to walk in hope. We want to go from here in hope. And so that's why I call this an equation to hope in verses 3, 4, and 5. So tribulations, which are, by the way, entirely unpleasant, the sufferings, I mean, it's called that. It's called flipsis, or afflictions. That's what this word is. It says we glory in afflictions. They are called afflictions because they are not happy. They're very sorrowful things to be in. It's a very unpleasant thing to be afflicted. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Fear not, I've overcome the world. In the world you will have flipsis. You'll have afflictions. And indeed we do. But we don't have them without hope. In fact, we glory in them. That is, we rejoice in them. Just like we rejoice in God's glory, we rejoice in the afflictions when we identify them because we know, here's what it says, knowing, knowing that tribulation or this thalipsis works, that the afflictions that we have works patience or brings to pass patience and we want patience don't we i mean i want patience i want patience i don't especially enjoy the process of getting it but i enjoy the result and whenever you don't enjoy the process but you're looking for the result you just look forward to the result that's the way you endure the process and we understand this so tribulation or afflictions works patience. Now patience itself, patience has its end result. So the afflictions, you endure them, and it works patience. You, you begin to learn to patiently wait. They'll end. In fact, the experienced apostle Peter calls them momentary and light afflictions. Momentary is the first thing he calls them. They pass. You say, well, they'll never pass. Well, that's the lie of the enemy. Of course, they, they'll never pass. They'll never pass. You begin to add hours to hours and days to days, and the afflictions pass. And when you're done having passed through a series of afflictions and you have a little patience and you've learned to be patient through affliction, then you have this thing that can't be taken away from you. And that is you have experience, which is to say God has approved you in the suffering of your afflictions. You get the result. You get the approved result of having passed through afflictions. An athlete knows this. They pass through great afflictions all the time. We have many football fans that listen to the broadcast. Uh, those football players, those young football players pass through Two weeks of very nasty, or, or even three weeks of very nasty two-a-day practices when it's 100 degrees outside or near. And they've got guys who are paid big money just to afflict them. And uh, when they pass through it, they know that there's a goal to it, and they come out with better conditioning on the other end, and now they have experience. Now they have experience. So when they go through that again, they say, well, I know that seems to you fellows without experience that that this, these two weeks will never end, but they'll pass. You'll come out on the other side. And experience is what brings about hope. 
Now, we can talk a lot about Christian hope. In fact, the Bible has very much to say about Christian hope. But I want to at least get this across, and maybe just this simple thought. Hope is a future look. We don't hope for what's past. I don't hope I'm saved. That's crazy. I am saved. I'm saved for my sins, being justified by faith. I hope for God's glory and that I participate in it. And hope does not make us ashamed. So if we can live a life of hope, looking forward to God's glory, pleasing the Lord, and looking forward to his glory, then we won't be ashamed. And that's what it says. It says, and hope, verse 5, makes not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And that this is not the person of the Holy Ghost. This is by the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is by Holy Spirit that is given to us. This has to do not so much with the giver, but with the gifts that we have. And one other great gift that we have, not only uh, do we have do we know we have grace, not only do we have peace with God, given to us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have the Holy Spirit also given to us, the gifts of the giver. Now, what those gifts are and are not is a subject that we're going to take up here in Romans. What they once were and what they are not, we'll take up uh, throughout the book of Romans, book of First uh, Corinthians. But that the giver gives gifts is what makes him a giver. And we hear talk about the person of the Holy Ghost, who's the giver, but this in mind here, in verse 5, is one of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, which is what? It is the love of God in our hearts. God's love in our heart. That's one of the great gifts of the Holy Ghost. In fact, that is the sum of all the gifts of the Holy Ghost, is the love of God in our heart. And this is what remains, by the way. Some gifts were given early in the church. They were called the charismata. Some gifts were given to the early church for the purposes of the early church. And they're what we call sign gifts. But the one that continues on, those uh, certain of those will end. And uh, they're, they're prophesied to end, and they will end, and they have ended already. In fact, no Christian can argue about whether they'll end or not. They can only argue about when. And even then, we need to see them end in the Apostle Paul's life. We'll take that up anon. 1 Corinthians, we get there or here in Romans, the 12th chapter. But the one gift that will never fail and that never goes away and that lasts is God's love, which is given to us in our hearts. And uh, what a wonderful gift that is, as that is principled love that we're to exercise throughout our Christian lives. Well, this is a wonderful blessing, and this is a great experience that we have, and all of this is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ in which we have trusted and the work that Christ has done for us. And with that, I think I'll just put this little song on right here. So we turn now to the 6th through 10th verse of Romans chapter 5. And we have even more encouragement given to us here, where we can read that, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now there's a group of high-minded people out there 
and some of them are sincere but wrong. Others are just, uh, and this is a pretty large number, are just young pseudo-intellectuals who haven't really read much of the Scripture. They read more about the Scripture and become persuaded in that superfluous mind, that mind that comes from the old nature, and they begin to believe what's told them by certain, what I call, pseudo-intellectuals who teach that Jesus Christ died only for the elect. And I find that to be a particularly detestable point of view because they confuse the fact that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross was for the ungodly. For when you were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, in order to qualify, therefore, for the meritorious work of Christ, you must be ungodly. And I qualified. That's one of the things that qualified me for a Savior, is that when I was without strength and when I was an ungodly, uh, worthless, uh, good-for-nothing, I found out that God loved me anyhow and that Christ had died already for my sins. And that is the good news, my friends. That is the good news. Now, not only did he die for the ungodly, but he died for his enemies, of which I was one, an enemy in my mind, according to wicked works. And not only did Christ die for the ungodly, but notice this little phrase, this little prepositional phrase, in due time. Christ died in due time, or just the right time. We could look at Galatians chapter 4 and find out that he died at the right time. But there isn't some other time when a Messiah can come and die for sins. Now, we looked at the prophetic scriptures and laid that out in times past, and if you want to read about the great prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, you can listen to what I had to say about it. You can go, just go read it yourself, but you can go listen to what I have to say about it in the Dispensation of the Law series, and that's a 49-part series, so you find it in there right around, oh, I suppose, around part 42, 3, somewhere in there. But let me just tell you that Christ died for the ungodly, and you need to be an ungodly, strengthless, ungodly person to qualify then. And he did it at the right time, and so there's not anybody else going to come around and do the same. So scarcely, now the, the Bible now argues about the love, because we've been left with the love of God that's shared abroad in our hearts. And the apostle wants to pause and, and give us a little meditation about how much did God love us. What kind of principled love is this? It is a love, again, that we find based on his own character based on his own character. The love of God is not based on the object of his love, and I guess that's part of what really makes me uh, wince when people tell me that Christ just died for those who believe, as if, for example, God found the object of his love somehow worthy, worthy of the death of Christ. And there's none of that. There's none of that. There's no one worthy. Give that up. Here now, it tells us, and the apostle meditates a bit on the love of God, for scarcely for a righteous man would one die. And that's right. I mean, greater love has no man that he lays down his life for his friend. So nobody has more love than that. You and I, can't. we don't have any greater love than we lay down our life for our friend. But Christ laid his life down for the ungodly, for, for the enemy. See, scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man 
Some would dare to die. Some would die. Some would venture. Some would venture to die. Some might die for a good man. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, that is to say, while we were his enemies. That's what a sinner is. A sinner is an enemy, in at least in his mind, against God. And so while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, that is a meditation of the love of God. And that is the love, that is the principled love that is shed abroad in the heart of every child of God. The just for the unjust, dying for the enemies. And this is in the new nature. This love is in every Christian. Now you say, well, I'm not giving expression to it. Well, that's a different matter. But it's there, and there's an answer to it. And here's what I know when I preach to Christians. I know it's there. You see, as a preacher, let me just tell you a little bit of what it is to be a preacher and how, how you can keep going. Because if you look at the behavior of people and just try to change their behavior, then you're not serving God. That is not really what God wants a preacher to do. God wants a preacher to preach the truth to people. Now, the way that you can preach in hope is that you know that every child of God has this new nature where there there is uh, the experience of grace, where there is peace with God, and where is the love of God in the heart of that person, and you can count on it. I had experience not too long ago where I came across two Christians not getting along with each other at all, and this happens. This just happens. I've had many experiences in my life where I just am having a very difficult time getting along with another believer. Now, the way that we can approach that in hope is that we know that Christ's love is in the heart of each of those believers, and that all they need to do is find that one with another, give a little bit of expression to it, and, of course, that love covers a multitude of sins. It overwhelms all of the old nature and its failures and so forth. And so the apostle meditates here about the commendation of God's love, of just a little bit of what it is here in 6, 7, and 8. And now he moves to the consequence. Giving us that meditation, he moves to this consequence. Much more than being now justified by his blood. And, of course, he now references not the agency by which salvation comes to us, by the faith principle, but the agent itself that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he says, much more than, you see, we're justified by faith, by the faith principle. In other words, that's how we come into the good of it. But the actual work done for our justifying is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why, for example, on this broadcast, we have songs about the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we have it, because that is the actual work for our salvation, and then the means by which it comes to us is the faith principle. And so now he says, much more being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And that is what we're saved from all wrath, by the way. Here's unqualified wrath. We are saved from the wrath of man. We are saved from the wrath of Satan. We are saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from all wrath. And don't you ever forget it. 
And don't you tell somebody that you'll be sitting around here on earth going through Satan's wrath, but you'll be pulled out before God's wrath because you're saved from all wrath. And we don't hope we'll make it through the the first several months of the tribulation, the great one. We hope that we'll be pleasing to God when we rendezvous with our Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And in that day, we hope that we will have great boldness and not be ashamed because we lived a shameful Christian life. That's our hope. And, of course, here we're starting to deal with what's our hope. But, of course, we know we'll be saved. And part and parcel of that gift that God gives you, now we're talking about the gift here, is salvation from wrath. That's part of the gift. That is not part of the prize. That has nothing to do with the prize of the high calling of God, uh, of the high calling of Christ on uh, of, of, of Christ. This is part of the gift. These are elements of the gift. The love of God in our hearts, peace with God, access to grace or introduction to grace, our standing in grace, and our salvation from wrath. All of this given to us. Verse 10, Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, when we were enemies, he reconciled us. Now that we're no longer his enemies, we'll also be saved. And saved from what? Well, saved from all wrath. Ah, Not saved from afflictions. We'll have afflictions. We'll have the way of the cross. And so now we can be joyful and rejoice in these things. We can be joyful and have a proper perspective for what we hope for. We have a proper perspective for what we hope for. And I want to read out of 1 John chapter 2 something of what it is now we hope for. I'm getting a little ahead. I'm sort of introducing us to where this epistle is going because this epistle is going from chapter 5 right on through chapter 6 right through chapter 7, and it's going to climax doctrinally at Romans chapter 8, and we're going to come into some things there that we need to be able to distinguish so that we understand those things which are given to us and those things that we yet hope for. But let me read just briefly 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, where it tells us, And now, little children, abide in him. And I actually quoted part of this section to you earlier in the 27th verse. But now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence or boldness. This is what the early church prayed for, boldness, free speech. We may have boldness when he appears and not be ashamed before him, at his coming. And that's what we don't want to be ashamed before him at his coming. We want to have boldness at his coming. We want to enter into the joy of our Lord. We we want to have great freedom before him. And therefore, we live the life here below as Christians where we understand his great gifts and we endure, therefore, the afflictions that are for us, uh, ushering us in to great glory. My friend, don't lose these things. These are wonderful truths that God gives to us that help us. And you cannot, I want to repeat myself, you cannot live a successful life if you don't understand what it is you've been given. It is, it is the enemy of our souls, our spiritual enemy. 
uh, our spiritual enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, our spiritual enemies would put upon us to seek after that which we already have. There's nothing more wasteful than to do that. But Christian friend, you need to sit down and assess these gifts, this package, this bundle of gifts that God has given to us in the faith and understand what it is you have so that you don't overlook it and then try to look forward to that which you need to look backward for. And when you look backward to the work of Christ, you find these things. You find justification. That is, you've already been declared righteous. You find grace for all of what lies before you, and you find a deliverance from wrath. Well, uh, we'll have more of this uh, later. In the meantime, remember this.